Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I've uh, used that clip once before, but I couldn't resist. I love awkward situations. They make me feel engaged and alive. And that is one of my favorite scenes from a movie of all time. And I, I think we can identify with that because I've read in a number of places that the fear of public speaking is one of the highest fears that people ever testified to in a survey. In fact, by many surveys, it's said that fear of public speaking is greater than the fear of death itself. Think about that for a second. People are more afraid of speaking in public than they are of dying. And if speaking in front of other people is awkward and difficult, then speaking to God in front of other people has got to be even more nervous uh, and and more tension-producing for people. And so I, I think it's one of those areas that most people that I know, they don't want to be asked, will you pray in front of the church on behalf of all of us? And yet in thousands of churches all over the world this morning, people are standing up at a pulpit or at a podium, and they are uttering a prayer on behalf of everybody else. We call it corporate prayer, not because it takes place in a corporate setting, but because corporate meeting, this is prayer that we do all together. Most prayer is, if you think about it, a very private kind of a thing. We think of prayer as a personal communication between me and God, but on Sundays we do this thing called corporate prayer where we as a group together lift up our hearts to God and lift up our voices to God. Now, maybe it's because it's the shortest part of any worship service. It lasts maybe two, three minutes. If you go to uh, first-generation Korean church, sometimes it lasts 10 minutes, depending on how moved the elder happened to feel. I, I once was at a Korean church service where the, the elder did a prayer for 10 minutes, and I woke up about halfway through it. <clears throat> and I want to ask you, because I think it is one of the most forgettable, um, it's like almost like a, you hit the pause button and you're free to wander for a little while and then come back to everything. And I want to ask you, if you're honest about it, when somebody's up in front of the room praying like Pastor Frank just did, a wonderful prayer, by the way, what's going on with you? Be honest about it. Do you ever find that you're kind of in a state of hypnosis where your mind is wandering, you're thinking about all these other things, and then the word amen is like the trigger word where the hypnotist pulls you out and wake up? (laughs) Some people feel that. I, I used to feel that all the time growing up in church. Like someone would be praying, and I'd be like, oh, man. I wonder if the Bears are going to win. I wonder if that girl is going to show up at church, you know, things like that. I was a kid. I was thinking about those things. And then the guy would say, amen, and I would snap too. Where do you, where's your mind when somebody else is praying? How engaged are you 
in the setting of corporate prayer. Now, you can remember the, ser- the series that we're in. It's a short series, but we're talking about these familiar religious activities that make up what we call a Sunday church service. And what we're trying to do together is to give significance, proper significance, to these things we do week in and week out because it's very easy if you've been to church for a while to be completely on autopilot going through the motions of a service and find that you haven't really engaged at all from beginning to end but you're here doing what you know you're supposed to do week after week. So I want to teach you two things that I think should be on your minds every single time you find yourself in a setting where Christians are gathered together to pray. Okay? Your personal prayer life, it's a whole other sermon, it's a whole other subject, but I'm talking about any time a group of Christians gathers together for prayer, there are two things that I hope you will remember that will stick with you for the rest of your life. The first of those things is that corporate prayer is praying for everyone. Corporate prayer is praying for everyone. And I'll unpack that a little bit, what I mean by that. It's interesting that we have a separate term for praying for other people. We call it what? Intercession. Intercessory prayer is when we pray for other people. And that seems to presume that when we talk about regular prayer, regular prayer is praying for ourselves. And I think that's the experience most people have, is prayer is a very individual, intensely personal activity. And when I engage in it, when God finally gets me praying, my most intense, prolonged, faithful seasons of prayer in most Christians' lives are when they're going through something, they're bearing a burden, they're struggling or suffering, pain has visited them, and so they're driven to pray in dependence upon God. Now, that's not speaking to everyone. If you're in a, in a place of spiritual revival and you're doing really well with the Lord, please don't feel accused by anything I'm saying, okay? Um, but for a lot of Christians, that's their experience, is that most prayer is prayer for themselves. I know especially that that's true in an individualistic society like you'll find in the United States or in Europe and developed nations where people are bred by society to think very much about their own affairs, their own finances, their own families, that so much prayer is self-focused. So when we pray for other people, we have a separate term for it. We call it intercession. It is when we turn our eyes away from ourselves and begin praying to God on behalf of other people. Excuse me. Now, I don't want to criticize it too much because the truth is God does want us to bring our burdens to him. He does want to be the first place we turn when our hearts are troubled, when we have worries and cares. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, 7, he very openly invites us, give all your worries and cares to God. Why? Because he does care for you. He's not annoyed that you keep turning to him in pain. In fact, sometimes he allows pain to visit you because it's the only time we may desperately turn to him with honest hearts. And so he does want us to have an intensely personal and individual experience of prayer. But I think when we as Christians get together, there should be something more to our corporate prayer than just 200 individuals praying individually in the same space. Does that make sense to you? That corporate prayer should not just be individual prayer times however many people are in the room, but that when we gather together for prayer, there should be a very different dimension that's added, which we don't always get as a focus when we're praying by ourselves. Now, at at Harvest, we've always called the corporate or public prayer time kingdom prayer. And what that's meant to suggest is it's the time in our service when through prayer, we are reminded 
that we are part of a bigger kingdom than just our own lives and just our own church. We've always made it a practice to try to pray for things that affect all Christians, and often we pray for things that exist outside of our church, for missionaries in the field or for things that are happening in the nation, and that's intentional. Because so much prayer in our regular lives outside of Sunday when we're by ourselves is all about the stuff that's going on in our story, there is an encouragement that is found when we gather together and we plug back in to the bigger story of what God's doing, not just in our lives, but all over the world in his story. And so when we pray together corporately, I really believe there needs to be a sense that we are praying for things that we often don't think about or feel burdened for when we're alone. At the end of his teaching on spiritual warfare and wearing the full armor of God, at the end of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it's a very rich passage, I've preached on it before, where Paul is saying life on earth is a struggle. It's described in terms of warfare because the enemy is not going to just leave you alone. To live for God in a world that's fallen is not going to come cheap. It's not going to come easy. A lot of the times it's going to feel like you're in battle. How many of you guys can identify with that, maybe today or in your recent life, that life, just living, trying to live, eyes focused on God, feels like a battle. I would love it if it felt more like a baby in a stroller. Whenever I see that, I think, I wish they would invent an adult stroller and someone would just push me around. Imagine how good that feels. Just lay there while someone's pushing you through a mall and background noise and you don't have to walk. Somebody's going to invent that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make billions of dollars, the adult stroller. Mark my words, I said it first in bubble. I would love for life to feel like that, but the truth is, many days, I feel like I'm going to war when I wake up. I'm lacing up my boots and going, today's going to be a fight. If not my own fight, somebody else's fight, I'm going to jump in, and we're going to do battle today. And so Paul gives some very clear teaching on how we engage in spiritual battle and how it's different from earthly battle. And at the end of that teaching, he throws in this little verse in Ephesians 6, 18, and here's what he says. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And what Paul is saying is, it's not just a fight for you. It's a fight for everybody who wants to live for Jesus Christ. That you're not alone in the struggle, and if you ever feel isolated, you're going to struggle even more because you're going to think somehow God or the universe has it out for you. That the struggle you're going through is yours alone to bear. And what he reminds us of is when we gather to pray, part of spiritual warfare is we remember that everybody is struggling and we stand together and we don't fight just our own fight, but we fight on behalf of others around us. Often our most powerful prayers for others will be prayed in an area of our greatest pain. Because we know what it feels like to struggle like this, if you've had a rough time in your marriage, if you've been one of those people who's never really been able to make good friends, you're going to be sensitized to those people who share that struggle. And as you, as you kneel to pray for other people, as you go to battle on your knees in prayer, often that's where God will take your heart. You will fight through prayer for people whose pain and struggle you deeply identify with and understand. There is this sense of in which in this verse he's saying you have to pray frequently 
And you have to pray fervently. You have to be committed to this kind of warfare because every day people are struggling and every day people are losing ground. And the way that we fight together is through this thing called prayer. I really believe that when we gather for corporate prayer, this should mark the kind of prayers we pray together. Is that we're not just echoing a multiplied version of an individual prayer, but we're reconnecting to the bigger kingdom of God. So I want to ask you, how often, and think about your own personal prayer life, when you're outside of church on Sundays and you bow to pray, what percentage of your prayer life would you say is lifting up the, the burdens and struggles of others? So don't shout out a number. Okay, I mean, you know, I'm not asking you to confess publicly, but think about that. Because what I've discovered is that for many, many people, if I ask them that question, they'll say, a lot of my prayer life is really restricted to my own story. And I think we grow when we start praying for people outside of our own lives, when we see the bigger kingdom of God, because it reminds us that our story is important, but it's part of something bigger that God is up to. Now, here's the other thing that I want you to keep in mind whenever we gather to pray together, is that corporate prayer is not just for everyone, it is praying with everyone. When we pray together at church, or when you pray together in a, a small group or in a small group uh, Bible study, there should be a sense that when you pray with people, it feels different, it sounds different than when you're praying by yourself. Now, when I pray by myself, I'm a very quiet prayer. When I was younger, I was a very loud prayer. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was taught to pray real loud, and that's how I prayed all through high school. I never prayed silently. And then as I got older, something happened to me, and my prayer life got quieter and quieter and quieter. But when we gather together to pray, I'm convinced that there has to be some tangible, measurable, uh, I don't know if this is an English word, but feelable sense that I'm not doing this alone. In fact, I think it's really creepy when I'm with other people, and it sounds exactly like I'm by myself. When I'm in prayer with others and it's totally silent, I feel really lonely and almost nervous in that experience. In fact, I would say my sense of isolation is enhanced because I'm in the room with other people and no one is making a sound. I could be by myself. I was once at a very large conference where the speaker came up and he said, I wanted you to try something because our, our world is so noisy. There were about 5,000 people gathered. And he said, I want to see if we can accomplish something. In a room full of 5,000 people, I want to see if we can have 10 seconds of absolute quiet. So he invited everyone, just turn off all, they, they unplugged the instruments, and it's just, just everybody be quiet. Don't even clear your throat. 10 seconds. And I remember being in that stadium and feeling very strange because I'm in a room with 5,000 other people, but if I close my eyes, I could be by myself. And in that moment, I felt totally disconnected to every other person in that place. It was like being around a huge crowd, but really being by myself. Now, the reason that the, um, the speaker did that exercise was, in fact, he kind of gave this punchline after. This is what life feels like for a lot of people who live in isolation, who feel disconnected from the people around them, is that there's noise everywhere, but their world is very quiet. And I, I can touch that whenever I'm praying with other people 
and there's just the dead silence of the frozen chosen. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody even mutters, amen, mm-hmm, yes. Like, it's just like I'm making a speech and everyone's just listening voyeuristically. And when that happens, I don't really feel like we're praying together. Now, I don't want to belabor that point too much because it's not natural for a lot of people to make sounds when somebody else is praying. If you're Asian, it's really difficult because we're very quiet folk, we Asians. But I've prayed and preached in other settings, and there is so much feedback, so much sense that I'm in the room not by myself. And I think that's the thing we can learn and grow in as a group of people is when we pray together, there should be some sense that we're in the room together. When Jesus had risen from the grave, he spent about 40 days hanging out with his friends, giving proof to them that he had risen from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven miraculously. I mean, he literally just just floated up into the sky and went to be with God. But before he did that, he told his followers, very soon, power is going to come upon you as the Holy Spirit visits you, and then you'll go out and change the world in my name. You'll bring out a message that will change people's lives. And so they heard that. He disappeared into the sky, and they're all standing around going, what do we do now while we wait? And their response was to gather in the same place day after day, and they committed themselves to prayer. And here's the way that Luke, in recording the first chapter of the Acts, remembers that prayer time. He said they were together with one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. Now, I like this verse because it tells me I'm driving the right car. You've heard that joke before. They were all in one accord. (laughs) Okay. This is not an ad for Honda, but the idea, what does that mean, they were of one accord? What that means is there was a deep and tangible agreement among them as they prayed. Now, let me ask you guys a question. How do you know in a group of people that are praying whether there is agreement or not? How do you know? See, part of the, part of the way a stand-up comedian knows he's funny is when he tells a joke, people laugh out loud. Can you imagine how unsatisfying it would be to be a stand-up and you're killing it on stage, you've got the best routine, bit after bit after bit, you're killing it, and everyone's just staring at you. Like an Asian congregation at a church. Um, I, I used to invite more um, more people from other ethnicities to preach, but they would say, are you people mad at me? Do they not like them? No, they're getting really blessed. The more blessed Asians get, the more quiet they get. You know? <laughs> but, but imagine how unsatisfying, and maybe if you're not Asian and you're in this room, you felt that tension, like, why is everybody so uptight? Imagine what it would feel like to be a stand-up comic and everyone's just sitting there, and you're like, uh, is this thing on? Am I funny to you guys? And what if they said to you, we are cracking up on the inside. You are hilarious. I can't wait to buy your CD and tell people that come see your show. Yeah, that's great for you. Stinks for me. Because I'm the one vocalizing and there's nothing here. I'm not sure if you're even hearing what I'm saying because all of your response is so private. It's so all by yourself. You don't even need to be in this. You can watch me on YouTube and give me the same experience as the guy vocalizing up here. And I think that's a that's an element of corporate prayer that I feel has long been ignored. Somebody's got to say something. When we pray together, we have to pray together. Can someone just say amen so I don't feel like I'm in a Buddhist monastery? 
Listen, when we pray together, we have to pray together. That doesn't mean we voyeuristically listen to one guy talk to God and go, yes, I secretly agree very much with that. But that we say to the Lord together, that guy is actually talking for all of us. That woman is vocalizing what's on our hearts. I think to pray in agreement is at the very least, even before we touch the issue of the heart, it affects our vocal cords. To pray in agreement with a group of people means that at some point the thing that one person is saying, somebody else is acknowledging they agree with. And that can happen a lot of ways. You could just say, mm-hmm, mm, oh, amen. You know that's right, uh-huh. I mean, there's so many ways to vocalize it. Do what is natural, but in the beginning, many of you are going to feel like that's very uncomfortable and unnatural. You're not doing it for you. For one moment, think beyond yourself. You're not doing those things to encourage yourself. Can we agree that once in a while as Christians, we can do something to encourage others, not just ourselves? And this is one way we do it is somebody's taking a risk and they're vocalizing issues of faith, statements to God on behalf of a group of others. And if you've ever been in that position, one person just affirming what you said is on their hearts as well really helps you feel like you've got it right, that what you're saying is not an offense to God, that it's a good thing, that it captures all of our hearts, and that this time spent together praying as a group was time well spent. It's a way we have of encouraging one another. But here's another reason why I think it's so important to agree together in prayer, even at the level of the heart and mind. When we pray with each other, it enriches our faith. It gives us new dimensions on our view of God that we wouldn't have if we always prayed just by ourselves. That's why it's so costly to zone out when somebody else is praying. It is when someone is praying that you are hearing them vocalize their point of view. The way they think about life and the world and God, they're saying those things out loud. And if you zone out, you're going to miss something that could deeply enrich the way you experience your own faith. Let me give you an example. I've had many people ask me, listen, um, I'm really struggling right now. I'm suffering. I feel the edges of bitterness creeping in. Can you pray for me? And as an American, when I hear that request, the first thing I think of is what? How, I, how would I pray when my friend says to me, I'm really struggling. Can you pray for me? What is the natural American response to that request? God, deliver them from this struggle. Help them to experience freedom from it. Let it be over soon and let them get back to life as usual in awesomeness as is our right as Americans. Amen? I'm being a little sarcastic. I hope that doesn't put you off. Uh, But I'm being sarcastic because I was so humbled when I traveled to Africa. And Africa is a big continent. It was particularly Uganda. Um... And I was gathered with a small group of people, and one guy was laying down, like, <laughs> stuff that, when he said, I'm struggling, I was like, that's a whole other level. I don't have vocabulary to respond to what you just shared with me, because it's making my brain want to explode. It was really heavy stuff. Uh, it had to do with echoes of genocide and the awkwardness of a neighbor that had killed your relative with a machete, and, you know, like, really gross stuff. Like, um, And he goes, I'm really having a hard time forgiving my neighbor who hacked my own relative to pieces in front of me. I'm like, yeah, I think I would have a little hard time with that too. So he said, will you pray for me? 
I was about to pray, but then another pastor stepped in and he prayed. And as I was listening to his prayers, I was shocked at what I was hearing because his prayer was, God, we thank you for the gift of suffering, which stretches our faith and reminds us of your goodness. And I just said, I in a million years would not say thank you in response to that. I couldn't find any silver lining in that cloud. I would just be like, God, make it over. That's horrible. That's like post-traumatic stress disorder level of horrible. I would just ask for deliverance. And this pastor dug in and prayed, do not let them sin in their suffering. Let them bring glory to you regardless of the cost of this, the weight of it. And he kept praying like that. And not once did he pray what was on my mind, um, help the guy out too, Lord. He just prayed for the guy to keep his faith in the midst of struggle. And I realized, and this is not me comparing the other parts of the world to America. What I was learning was, if I only pray by myself, I would only look at the world one way. But when I pray with other people and they vocalize their faith, sometimes I am shocked and jarred by a point of view that I never in a thousand years would have had. But it reminds me that these people spend their whole lives looking to God this way. And it stretched and grew me because I realized, like just like a fish doesn't know it's wet, I don't know just how me I am all the time. Do you understand that phrase? Do you realize how you you are 24-7? How great and awesome that is, but how restricting and limiting that is as well? And the reason God gives us community is so that as we listen and engage and pay attention to each other, as one person vocalizes their faith, I am learning multidimensional ways of thinking about God and seeing his presence and activity in the world. And it grows me. It stretches me. It helps me have a deeper, more robust faith. Sometimes it gives me hope when all I was feeling was despair because I feed off the optimism and hopefulness of my brother or sister who doesn't seem to be as freaked out by the struggle as I am. I'm amazed by the composure of veteran pastors. When I was a 20-year-old pastor, 20-something, and I was called into like hospital rooms where somebody was terminal, I was this bundle of raw nerves. I felt like someone walking into the room without skin on. I was so nervous, so uptight. I'm not, you know, as a young man, I wasn't used to going into hospital rooms where people are preparing to die. And I would always marvel when an older, gray-haired pastor walked into the same room he was smiling. He was engaging people. He was offering comfort. The whole time I'm like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. And the other pastor is going, you know, the Lord is in this place. He's going to meet you even in this final hour. He sees you. And even though your time on earth might be drawing to a close, you can go home in his arms. There was a peace there, a stability, a weight to them that I didn't have as a young man. And hanging around older pastors really had a... a an infectious effect on the way that I pastored over time. It matured me. It grew me up. Young people freak out a lot. Amen? Because everything's new and everything's intense and everything's going to kill us and it's over. Young people, I remember what it felt like to feel everything on steroids, man. Just pow, pow, pow. And I miss that. <laughs> it's a good thing. But young people pay attention to the prayers of old people. Your faith will grow as you look at life and God through other people's vocalized faith. 
That's one of the reasons why I think corporate prayer is such a powerful opportunity. And if you space out while someone's praying, you're losing an incredible opportunity to grow in the way that you understand and relate to God. Listen to what, Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew 18. He's just taught on how we administer discipline when someone in the church has really started to rebel openly. And after teaching the proper procedure for disciplining somebody who has gone away from the faith, he says, listen, when you guys have to come to a course of action, when you have to come to a decision about how you feel about this person's actions, when you decide to sanction them or to fold them back into the community, you will know you're making the right choice if there is agreement in my name among even two of you. Meaning when, the, when you guys pray about this issue and you begin to agree vocally that this is what we hear and feel from the Lord, then within that agreement, I will be present with you. In your agreement in my name, my presence, my authority, my affirmation will also be there with you. In other words, when we agree with each other, especially in the context of prayer, his presence is found in that agreement. There's something powerful that happens in a room when someone says something to the Lord and the others with them simply utter the word, Amen. So be it. Let it be. We believe this to be true. And in that agreement, God is present in that place. That's the promise of Jesus. The primary purpose of this verse, despite its traditional use, is not to say, well, there's only five people at our church, but God is here anyway. I know we try to encourage ourselves in bad turnouts using this verse all the time. Well, it says wherever two or three are gathered, but that's not the whole purpose of this passage. It is to say that wherever there is agreement in the Spirit of God among even two believers, the presence of Christ is found in that agreement. That's why when we're praying... We're not just eavesdropping on somebody. We are agreeing because in that action, the presence of Christ enters that corporate prayer setting. It begins to bring us together. That word agreeing is the Greek word symphoneo, from which we get the English word symphony. Multiple voices coming together to make beautiful music because they're coordinated by one conductor. And something powerful happens when everyone starts out in a panic and someone brings to bear the sovereignty and the watchful care of God and everyone's beginning to echo not, Lord, please help us, but they're beginning to utter, God, you are good. God, you are here. God, you are in control. And as people begin in one voice by the the conductor, he's saying, no, you guys are all off over here. Come back to the score. You're in a frenzy. You're panicking. You're worried. You're afraid. Come back to this place. And as one person vocalizes a prayer and the others begin to come online and everyone's tuning their instruments and they're in the same key, something amazing happens in that corporate setting which you will not regularly experience in private prayer. There is an encouragement that comes to us by hearing each other's voices of agreement as we pray with and for one another. Amen? Now, I'm going to give all of you a near heart attack. I'm done preaching. You know, I have a reputation. I'm done preaching because I, I felt like, why would I drone on and on about corporate prayer when we have an opportunity to do a little bit together? So here's what I would like to try 
in an effort at trying to teach us experientially both those aspects of corporate prayer. Praying for everyone, meaning praying for things in the kingdom beyond just our story, but also learning to listen to each other's prayers and engage and agree together so that as I listen to somebody else pray about this topic, I'm perhaps being challenged to think about it through a whole different perspective. And so here's what I'd like you to try. Okay, and play along with me, please. It won't last very long, maybe a few minutes. But here's what I'd like you to try. Just pair up with someone near you. If it's your honey, that's great. You know, If it's somebody close to you, that's good. Maybe it's not common that you actually pray with one another or for each other. Here's what we're going to do. If I can get that one slide up here. We're going to try praying for and with everyone this way. Last Sunday was the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I don't know if you know this, but people are still being put to death just for being Christians all over the world every day. Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary did a study in 2010, and their findings were that on average, every year, just shy of 160,000 Christians around the world are killed for no other reason than that they confessed their faith in Jesus Christ. 160,000 of your brothers and sisters are put to death every year just because they're Christians. So I think it's important for us, in light of that fact, to begin praying for those who are being persecuted and live every day of their faith in fear for their lives. And another prayer, you can pick one or the other of these things. Another thing we can pray just in attaching ourselves to the kingdom is we're not the only church in town. <laughs> there are a couple really big ones not that far down the road from us. And there are many local churches that we've had relationships with. We have loved ones and friends who attend them. And I think too often churches see each other as the competition, when in fact we're actually in it together serving the same Lord. And there needs to be more, in my opinion, a more spirit of generosity towards other churches as we pray for their success, their health, their growth. We want to bless other churches. So depending on whichever one of those resonates in your heart more, I want you to pair up with someone and just say an out loud prayer for either one of these topics. And as the other person is praying, don't think about the Bears game or your shopping list. Listen to what they're saying and how they're saying it. And if they say something that tugs at your heart, reach way down in the bag of tricks and say, Amen. I like it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Bring out a little soul in you. You can even say, mm-hmm. That always encourages me to hear that. Just, mm-hmm. Just something that says to you, you're not talking to yourself. I'm with you, and as you pray, I'm praying with you. You're not praying on my behalf. We're praying together. You're just the one making the sounds, but we're together in this. And so learn, just practice that. Stretch a little bit. We're going to spend three minutes trying to do that together. Take turns praying, and no long speeches, quick prayers. Pick one of those two topics, pair up, and let's pray together for a few minutes. And then I'll call us back together and end, okay? Amen. Amen. Thank you for engaging in that exercise. I hope it was a blessing to you. It was short, wasn't it? When you're praying together, three minutes is like just getting started. And I want to encourage you, whenever you have the opportunity to be around other Christians, Take at least a few of those minutes and devote yourselves to praying with each other. Praying together grows us in ways that praying alone doesn't. 
And whenever we have that opportunity, we need to become more a praying church. Certainly, we want to pray together corporately more often than three minutes on Sunday mornings. And so in the setting of your small groups, but also next year in the new year, you're going to be hearing more opportunities for those who just on a given day feel prompted, wanting to get together with other Christians and pray that we're going to make those opportunities available for you on a regular basis because we believe that God will grow us as Christians when we devote ourselves to prayer, that he will move mountains and do great things when we depend on him together in prayer. And so we're going to be creating opportunities for our congregation to come together for no other purpose than to pray together. And I think some of us have been waiting for that a long time and will really, really grow in our faith through it. I also want to encourage you, whenever you are in corporate prayer, keep these things in mind, that together our prayer life should sound and look different than just a multiplication of our individualistic prayer. And that when we pray together, it's important for us to keep stretching in this area of letting those who are praying know that we're in the room together in spirit with them, agreeing together and backing them up. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the hope and uh, confidence that we are given as your followers. You told us that whenever we need to talk to you, we just have to talk to you. And you never sleep. You don't turn your back on us. But you are always there. And you are ready to listen. And you have power to respond. There's no one like you. We can talk to every other person on this planet. And it would never do as much good as even a moment spent talking to you. So impress that on our hearts. That prayer is not a drudgery or a burden but it is our lifeline to you. It is our conduit to you and to your peace and your great power. It is where our suffering takes on a different meaning and our fears give way to your great peace. So teach us as a church to pray. and Teach us to pray together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.